0: It's July 28th, 2008, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Today's guest is Marco Antonio Torres. And uh, Marco is an old friend of mine back from our college days back uh, back at Cal Berkeley. And Marco is an accomplished photographer, teacher, filmmaker, musician. He's a man of, a jack of all trades, basically. And uh, he's always been one of those people that I've long admired and respected, not just for the kind of work that he produces, but because of his desire to share what he knows With others, particularly young people, and uh, for for over ten years, he was a high school teacher in San Fernando High School, where he started a real unique program, teaching high school students to use photography, filmmaking, uh, musicianship, to communicate and to express things about their own lives and their communities. And he's been continuing to do this as he travels all over the world. Um he's he's usually on a plane or in a hotel room most most times of the year because he's a a really in-demand speaker in terms of speaking about using technology not just for the sake of technology but to be able to use it as a means of expression. And uh it's something that we completely agree uh, agree on. And uh, it's something that I wanted to talk about uh, for the purpose of the show. It's not so much a, a show uh, on photography as, as some of the other shows have been. We speak a lot about the role of education, but I think it's something that's an important topic. And I think it's something that, uh, that you'll, you'll enjoy listening to. So here's our conversation with Marco Torres. Hey,
1: Marco. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to get it out of the system there. Yeah, you're having an adventure in mail order. purchasing uh, and Gosh, everybody, listen very closely. Unless you know who the heck you're buying your machines from, your products from, please, please take it from me. It's not worth calling back. Let me tell you, there's 50 million people working in the sales department, answering the calls, making sure they tell you what you want to hear. About. And they got one person on customer service. <laughs> and they're, they only work like a half an hour. And you're on hold for 40 minutes unbelievable man I mean I just uh, I just lost $6,000 I hope I get it back for the next 15 minutes yeah Yeah. you'll
0: get it back but when it happens in the next 15 minutes
1: (sighs) well it better happen today because you know I didn't want to I needed it for the weekend but anyhow everybody be leery of of buying stuff from companies where especially expensive stuff that you really really can't have can't access them regularly and immediately but rather
0: than talking about the frustration of purchasing equipment, um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because you know I always enjoy our discussions about creativity, you know, which is something I really focus on on this on the show. Yeah. And uh, I know that's something that really kind of drives all the work that that you do. But you know, like me, you started really young. Yeah. Um, making pictures. Tell me, tell me about how that began for you and what because yeah, I know your mom your mom
1: yeah. is like a photographer was that, yeah. was that how it started? yeah it was I mean I was always around photography I know my mother and her brother um, on before they were 15 years old had owned like 5 or 6 photography studios in Mexico I mean mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing how in Mexico that maturity age is a lot younger so here's a 15 year old and a 13 year old who basically ran 5 and had a you know a bunch of people working for them as far as camera operators, dark room, retouching, and so growing up, my mom, obviously, when she got married, she gave uh, all of her um, her side of the company to my uncle, my godfather, and um, he ran everything, and basically, what we started to do is consolidate his different shops, and he ended up opening this one mega studio in Tepatitlan, Jalisco, in Mexico, and um, I was, you know, growing up, and running around in the big studio where they had the different types of cameras from, you know, full frame cameras, medium format cameras, and um, some 35 millimeter. You know, I remember the dark room and, and hanging out in there with my uncle and and um, his staff and and also sitting in the, you know, at the front of the, of the office where they had sort of a little gallery space where people can come and take a look. So it was kind of cool to see you know, the nervous couples come in at the beginning when they were going to get their pictures taken and then at the end see their smiles on their faces when they got the finished product. So that whole process is really, I think what I fell in love with is, is just watching, you know, uh, how a photographer really works with people. And I, that's one of the, f- I, I would say really, really on anyway, because I learned that, um, you know, when you take a picture or when you make a picture, either photographer, especially if you're working with people, I mean, having really good people skills is real important and, and trust you know people like to be told what to do when it comes to a situation where they're unsure of so I always liked my uncle because um, he always was so confident um, and whenever you walked into his space, you know he it was his space and he was going to help you and relax I'm gonna take over from here and he did a really good job and so since I was a little kid, you know I was very observant of everything how it was done, how he did it and um, uh, just the you know working with cameras seeing those pictures upside down mm-hmm. on those full you know those full format cameras so yeah I mean I fell in love with it from I'm not kidding you I, I, it, since I was a little boy yeah. um, two years old three years old coming from 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 your background I mean there when I when I came up
0: I would look at a lot of you know photographic books that's primarily how I, how I learned but um Oftentimes, I would see I would see wonderful work, but not a whole lot that was reflective of where I was growing up or the people I was growing up with. Yeah, there would be, you know, photographers like Bruce Davidson who did that famous mm-hmm. uh, uh, series. The series he did, I think it was in Harlem or or, or around that around yeah. that area. But it was always usually photographers, you know, from another culture. Yeah. Who were coming in. And observing and sort of expressing something. So, how how did you sort of perceive that, or come to awake to to the sort of disparity between the people who are creating images and those who are being documented?
1: No, that's a really good question because I mean that's definitely something that I for me it's the reverse. You know, as I started to get older then i got introduced to books and then i got introduced to other photographers and other galleries and then i started realizing wow this is so different from what i grew up with you know i grew up with only knowing mexican photographers mm. only knowing photographers of color and then all of a sudden leave mexico and realize that oh my gosh you know it's it's a lot more white than i ever thought i mean it really lacked the the, the diversity maybe that i that i anticipated and i realized now is that, you know, especially a lot of schools um, that offered photography, it wasn't really offered in communities like ours here. I mean, that's that's a reality. And space is an issue, always poor schools. So a lot of photography rooms had to have a dark room, which really was one classroom that took up two spaces. And that's just unheard of in uh, in an urban school here in Los Angeles. I know that there were some schools that did offer photography programs, but in this particular area, that was not an, uh, an option. But I know for me when as I became very conscious of that I mean I really wanted to make sure that if I had an ability to work with other people who like to do pictures especially people in our community um, I did whatever I could to continue to encourage them to do that um, especially when digital came out I mean whew, gosh that was so liberating because another thing too that people don't take into consideration is where do you get your stuff developed where do you have access to a dark room like in the hood you know so um, digital just changed everything. I mean, I, I literally put the f- uh, pedal to the metal uh, when digital take when digital photography came out, and um, I think that hopefully, what that does is that will change. And I think it is. I think that will continue to change uh, the the face of what photographers look like. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that. having more diverse photographers gives you a different perspective and I mean that's obvious people from different perspectives see different things differently and I've always been fascinated I've always been concerned that if it's pretty uh, if it's if it's homogenous as far as the people who are taking the picture if they're all from the same kind of neighborhoods and same type of situations are they going to give you the same type of picture or a variance of the same type of picture you and I've had this conversation in the past where if we give, especially like kids in this community or communities like where you grow up, cameras, they're definitely gonna offer something a little bit different. And I think that it's, it's up to us to try to promote um, the access and to try to promote this, this art form because it's definitely something that uh, society can benefit if we just diversify the photographer and then also make available stages and gallery spaces, uh, whether virtual or physical, to let other people see the type of work that can be captured by people who look like you and me.
0: Yeah. Tell us about the program you started at San Fernando High School here in California. Tell them how that how it came about and what role did you see it playing
1: in, in the students in that, in that community? So when I... I started a program about nine years ago and it was a program basically just to start to get more Uh, To get our community to wrap their heads around what technology can do to improve their quality of their lives Um, I was really concerned early on when I became a teacher in 99 98 I don't remember exactly the year um, at how since Everything else was priority like lockers and school safety and making sure you have enough algebra credits I thought that we were really missing the boat at number one, having access to the Super Information Highway. And um, so then one of the first things I wanted to do was just to start to create a dialogue at our school so that was not going to be left in the back burner. Um, as a younger teacher, definitely I saw the potential of what technology can do um, uh, you know, for learning in general, not for schooling, not for teachers, but really just for learning. And um, when, again, as I mentioned with with the with uh, with digital technology and the ability for information to be more than just text and numbers and now to include image and include experiences and to include sound i definitely saw an opportunity for kids in our community to reconnect to learning by having access to these different mediums i always say that learning needs to have multiple entry points and sometimes kids cannot enter at the same place some kids are more prepared than others some kids have breakfast some kids don't have breakfast some kids may have, have experienced their parents got in a fight the night before and somehow they're just not there the next day and we somehow feel that we had this one size fits all kind of a, a, situ, a environment for our schooling then you know if you're living in an environment where you know mom and dad are you know are you know working you have some sort of a at least a routine schedule in your life you're going to Uh, perform better and a lot of our kids in this community didn't really have a lot of these routines. We have a very transient working community where they change jobs a lot. Transient student population, 56% of our kids um, do not finish at the school where they started. So when I built a program, I built something that would give me what I call a week plan or a two-week plan where instead of looking at something that was going to be Uh, following a kid for two to three years, I was really trying to build something that would give kids an opportunity, whether in a day or two or a week, to re-engage into learning and to see that school is important. And the way that I felt that I can do it was um, through multimedia, through not only text and and with numbers, but giving the kids an opportunity to take pictures and tell stories with pictures, to... um, get a camera and turn the cameras on themselves on their peers on their family on their community and to help tell the stories that they know very well that they're very comfortable with too many times in our communities kids are being asked to look at the world from an outside perspective and there's a disconnect and i think that If we allow kids to look at their world with their eyes, but allow give them a stage to share that with the rest of the world, I think that that's very engaging because other people, especially with the internet, it provides them a stage for someone to pat them on the back and say, thank you very much. I really learned a lot about your mother. I really learned a lot about your love for soccer. Can you or give me an what? example
0: of one of the one of the films that yeah. um, the kids did early on that, that kind of reflects it?
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that, you know, as a social studies teacher, one of the good things about um, my program is that I was never a, uh, a process teacher. Like, I didn't teach filmmaking, or I didn't teach photography, I didn't teach technology or web design. I taught social studies, which is a science of decision making, and so I had a lot of content to work from, whereas a lot of schools that have uh, they're more process-based, whether well, they teach filmmaking, they have movies about filmmaking, or websites about websites and podcasting about podcasting. Um, I really wanted kids to really look at things that they're very comfortable with. And one of the issues that we were dealing with was sexism. And one of the girls uh, to make a movie decides to interview her um, fourth-grade niece about her image. How does she perceive herself? Is she ugly? Is she pretty? Is she fat? Is she skinny? Is she beautiful? Why is she beautiful or why is she ugly? And it was just a series of questions and it was shocking to see this little girl talk about how she's ugly because she doesn't have blonde hair. She doesn't look like Britney Spears. She, um, um, you know, starts making all these pop culture references and things that how the media really affects what an image was. And to have that on video uh, was really powerful. I mean, I think we know that. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, that combination of that innocent little fourth grader you're looking at and her face and rocking back and forth, sitting on her hands and just with a straight face answering these questions that she feels she's ugly because... Uh, she's a little darker than she needs to be. She's a little bit fatter than she needs to be. She's not necessarily wearing the nice clothes that people like Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears are wearing. And uh, and to have that video shown at a film festival and just almost feel the tension, and then to have it shown like all over the world and to have the type of feedback that those two girls had, I mean, Next uh, that just wouldn't have happened with a traditional term paper. Well, we both agree that.
0: When it comes to teaching photography or filmmaking or any creative art, it's not so much sitting down and and teaching people the technical stuff. You know that's sort of that will come later, eventually. Yeah. You know, but a lot of people think that you know before you have to be creative, you have to master the, the technical. And I think we've both seen mm-hmm. in our experience how the reverse mm-hmm. is quite 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 the case. Um, but you know, you're a teacher. You, you 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 know you go all over the world. Teaching educators how to, you know, use these computers and these softwares and these video cameras and stuff like that. And that's that's what you're going against, a traditional yeah. methodology of, of, of teaching creativity or, or, or some aspect of creativity. What is it that you think you want people to come
1: away with when you're talking to them about that? <coughs> That is probably the biggest challenge that I think teachers, that I face when I do my workshops because there's still this, even though it blatantly says that I'm going to be working with them on like the ability to be, and help them be more creative and help them being more innovative on helping them being create environments of ingenuity, on helping students, on helping teachers uh, understand that it's not the knowledge of the technology, it's what you do with it that's more valuable. I still, still to this day, probably... Uh, I still struggle with that the most. One of the things I always tell teachers is, whenever I whenever I think about technology, it's like this: if I wanted to go to across the United States, and I wanted to go to the Rockies first, and then I wanted to go to the to let's say the Dakotas, and then I wanted to jet across to New York, and then down to uh, Florida, what I would do is then I would s- sit with my mechanic or with an engineer to engineer a vehicle that would basically be conducive for that particular trip I'd like to take. So my needs should determine what type of vehicle, what type of medium I need to use to get to wherever I need to get to. Schools to this day are going to their mechanics and saying, based on the vehicle that you've already built for us, where can I go? That is a wrong approach. The the journey should not be determined by the mechanic. The journey should be determined by the driver. And I think that... For me, one of the things I always want teachers to get get across is what do you want to do? What story do you want to say? What really do you want your kids to learn? Let's put technology aside and let's write down some things. Do you want your kids to feel that they have more options later? Do you take a look at an issue and you ask some questions that you cannot find in Google? I mean, once we figure all of that stuff out... Then either we can take advantage of people who do know the what 's in the house at school that can help you or at least you can go online and look for the what 's in the house that can help you but at least you know what questions to ask. I always tell teachers if you don't understand the why and what you want to do, then it 's really easy for you to ask how are you going to do it because at least you have some questions like hey you know what like if, take your movie for example, uh, the one you just showed me the other day. You didn't necessarily know how to put it together in in in, in Final Cut, but you knew what questions to ask, like how do I place how do I place an image at this particular point, or how do I stretch it out, how do I slow it down? These are all questions that come up based on the fact that you're looking at how your story. Is basically guiding you on what you want to put in there. Later on, you learn more tips and tricks that may help you. But I always tell people: if you see anything on TV, if you see anything in movies, if you see anything, um, just let's talk about it. See how that helps. You know, helps in a story, and um, we'll help find how we'll figure it out. I have never. No one believes me. I have never taught any of the applications in my class, and my kids, my students were known to be some of the world's best. At knowing these applications, because it was affect-based, they knew why they needed to use it, as mm. opposed to just knowing how to click and how to drag. They knew why, and um, I remember there was this one young man, Sal, uh, Sal Castellanos, who used to work with me, and he was asked to do some series of workshops at Apple around Final Cut Pro, which is a professional video editing tool. And I remember he kept being asked by some guy in the audience very technical questions. And I remember Sal in front of everybody goes, you know what, I really wish I could answer those technical questions, but I only know how to edit. I don't know why to edit. I may not know all of the things on on what each button does, but I know what I need to know to help tell my story. And I think that that was one of those moments when I realized that that was a really good answer. I mean, I know a lot of musicians and stuff who don't necessarily know all the technical stuff, and they're pretty magnificent.
0: You keep talking about the word story. And I think everyone is hungry for stories. Yeah. You know, I think that's why they listen to music or they watch movies or they look at photographs because they're looking for some sort of connection for some resonance between their own experience yeah. and the experience outside of the world. But when you look at if you tell somebody that you want to teach storytelling, they look at it and go yeah, but what's the practical value of that? Yeah, that's right. So, what is the practical value? What can you possibly learn, whether even if you're not a, even if you're not a teacher, you know, and you're just a, a person who likes p- making pictures and making music?
1: What can you possibly learn practically from storytelling? You know, it's funny you mention that because, I mean, I get that's another question I get. But I really, and and usually when I tell people, you don't go home and say, Mom, sit down, I have a PowerPoint presentation about my trip to Jackson Hole, you know, Wyoming. Or, Mom, hang on, let me formulate it in an outline so that I can deliver this message to you. Story is very important. I tell everybody. And it's very important because what it does is it has something of relevance to it. Whether it's emotional, whether it's fact, whether it's figurative, whether it's literal, uh, whether it's vicarious, it's meaningful. It's something that has an emotional connection. It's very affect-based. And sometimes it's applicable. Apply- sometimes it's something you need. And, and one of the things that, if you ever look at, I just found out on the way up here, right our next stat. Right now, in, time, in, in hard economic times, there's something that the sales go up. Sales go up in movies and sales go up in TV, like the sales of TV. And it's just like during the depression, you know, you had the entertainment industry that didn't get hit as hard as everybody else did because people need that escape. Stories do a lot to an individual. They that's those are things that that um, connect us. Whenever a CEO talks uh, in a company now, they want to make sure that their product or their experience or their service is connected to an ex to an ex, to an. Uh, to an experience, to a story. Not even, You're not even hearing people talk about vision and missions anymore, but what's the story of the company? What's the emotional connection that we have with our customer as individuals? And I think that as educators and story and as far as in our particular culture is concerned, what are the areas that we always forget is experience, measuring experience, assessing experience. And I think that when we get kids the ability or give teachers the ability to tell stories, to find their own ways, to find their voice, to tell the stories in their own little voice, then it becomes more inclusive. And when people are more inclusive, then they tend to be more, obviously, more network-based. They, they're more open to other people. And when they're more open to other people, then they're more willing to do new things because they know it's no longer a risk because they're not going to be by themselves. And when they're not by themselves and they know that the other people, when they take risks, they know that they'll probably, everybody's a learner. And when everyone's a learner, you're more open to feedback as opposed to criticism. In a traditional learning environment, where there was a right answer, where someone had the answers, where you had to prove to that person. But in an environment where everybody's a learner, um, it's a lot more empowering because you're all there together. And I think that what stories do for me is that they make you all human. It connects us all as human beings. And in order for us to survive in this new economy that we're heading into, it's about relationships. What does that relationship look like? And if we can teach kids at an early age that what they know, what they have to say is, is very valuable, and what we do in school and find those things that have those emotional connections, you will remember the experiences that um, that happen historically. I know as a history teacher, I always tell people, gosh, give me the ability Give me the opportunity to teach history through music. The history of the United States through music. I bet you the kids will remember more. Hmm. Um, uh, give, me his, give me music, give me movies, give me photography. Let me teach anything. I think that I will make better, uh, uh, more connections. I think that it will be more relevant, meaningful, applicable to everybody, students and teachers alike. And why? Why is that? Uh, because I think that there's a lot more... I mean, your your brain is wired to receive that information a lot more effectively than just reading something through text and through numbers. And especially in other cultures um, where song, dance, image, story is a big part of, of of defining who that culture is. If you re-include that in schools and you reintroduce new people that can... Um, help that learning environment yeah schoolhouse rock comes to mind absolutely I do remember that so vividly you know what for me it's really funny you mentioned that I I, I, I show um, the pronouns one and it's funny because I always tell teachers at first and students how many of you can tell me what a pronoun is and you know there's there's that little uncomfortable quietness, you know, because sometimes people will forget. They'll know what it is once they show it. But at that moment, they cannot, you know, fill out the right bubble, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say a majority of them. I mean, you'd be amazed, even teachers that forget for that moment. And then I show the whole thing about, you know, my name is Andreas Armadillo, and this is my armadillo and my pet armadillo. And these are the sarsaparillas and one has a rhinoceros and but i don't have to say all that because i got pronouns and now i can say i love it and it loves me and she loves me and we are so happy and i remember that and i'm going oh my god i'll never forget that at all because it's got all of these different components to it and i think that uh, that makes more sense even like algebra and 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 like one of the things i always tell teachers take algebra for instance in california The largest, the the area where you could actually scientifically show where kids struggle most in algebra is in fourth grade fractions and ninth grade ratios. If we know that's the fact, which we do, then why don't we teach more music in the fourth grade across the curriculum? Because music is fractions. And if we can give kids an experiential understanding that a quarter, uh, one quarter, also looks like a quarter note. And what does a quarter note sound like in reference to a half note or a full note? Then it gives them an experience, a reference of what that looks like. If I'm in the ninth grade and I'm talking about ratios or if I'm going to talk about some physical dynamics and I have access to a 3D application that I can show kids what it looks like if I drop a lead ball in water and I can actually create that all virtually or do roller coasters and show kids about how gravity... And If I can create that, then what I am is I'm just bringing the world... I'm bringing the world immediately to the classroom. And teachers need to understand that. It's not, about, it's not that fun, silly, goofy stuff you do at the end of the week when you're finished with all the serious work. I believe that it's some of the most important work. Even photography. I mean, shoot, I can do whole lessons on XY graphs as far as light to dark, measuring that type of information. On, the, on, on trigonometry, You know, photography is a perfect example of, of, of the, the importance of trigonometry. What's the importance of ISO in relationships to the shutter speed in relationships to the f-stop, to the aperture. One tweak of one affects the other two in a certain way, and so for me, I can stop and you know be technical. For instance, so if I'm actually telling kids, okay, this week uh, we're going to do a series of workshops on on tips that we can give the city on making it more. Uh, more green, on reducing its carbon p- footprint, for example. And I want the kids to go out to the community and photograph identified problems. But and also, and then make a book, photo book. And then in the photo book, write down a solution and maybe find somebody out in the world that has a system that is a counter to that. Well, whereas like San Fernando has, uh, you know, the majority of people who tr- work in San Fernando, live in San Fernando. However, but in Vienna and Amsterdam, they have a bike system that I, you can ride these bikes you know from one place to the next mm-hmm. i mean so i can have ability kids take pictures but also i can stop in the class and say hey let me show you kind of some of the science behind what's going on i have that immediate relevant meaningful applicable component always available to me and i think that this, this that's something that Gosh, you right, next, I wish I can wave a magic wand and get teachers to realize that just because they learned it that way, doesn't mean that's the only way that it should be taught. Yeah. And I think a lot of them do know that, but they're uncomfortable to change it. So they're uncomfortable because they're scared that they're going to be like especially secondary school teachers. They feel like they're gonna be made fun of because they don't know their content area or whatever. So they just matter uh, not move. But if we can just incorporate The image, the the sound, (laughs) incorporate dance, any of the arts. And the story is the glue that kind of puts glues all that together. Gosh, you know, it can be more successful.
0: One of the things I like, I like I like a lot of the work that you do, particularly the photographs. And there's a willingness to experiment and to try things. Yeah. You know, and I think typically, even for myself, sometimes I'll go... I'd like to do it, but I don't know how to do it. And the fact that I don't know how to do it stops me. Yeah. And I think most people are that way. They feel like, I can't do it until I finally learn how to do it. But what I see you doing and what I see you often teaching is like, just go ahead and try it. Yeah, you know. And then as a result, what you need to learn sort of comes to you. Talk to me about, not so much what you're teaching in, in sort of the workshop, talk to yeah. me about how that works for you with the work that you produce for yourself personally. Because I know you produce a lot of stuff for the workshops, but yeah. when, it, when it comes time for you to do something,
1: what is that, what is that process for you? Uh, well, you're right in the sense where uh, I, I don't feel restricted. Number one, I, I feel like um, the people who are going to be looking at my stuff are, very, um, are learning, learning just like me. So number one, I think I've internalized that. I've internalized the fact that you know what and you can bleep this out. F- it. I'm going to give this a try and my friends are going to appreciate me for trying. I remember you and I went to, out and shot. This young lady who showed up a little bit late to shoot during sunset. We literally ran out of time. so But we shot anyhow. And I remember my favorite shot out of there. And I think the shot you even commented on was a shot that was totally out of focus. But the way that we shot it, it just gave it something. And we started to shoot. I started to shoot a lot of stuff. Slow, a lot of slow sync stuff out of focus. No, not your typical type of portrait work. But, you know, came out to be very... Um, uh, you know, very successful for me. At least for me, it was successful. I felt good about it. I know a lot of other pictures that I take. Uh, a lot of, I get a lot of comments on my little collages that I put together. And the reason why I put these collages, that's the filmmaker part of me. Because it's like, gosh, you know what? I, I got the picture, but I, I, I didn't get it like all those other photographers that are just a lot more patient than I am that will sit and wait to get it. Sometimes I kind of got it, but I kind of got it, but if I had these three other images along with it, then I think it will help tell the story. I'll just use one sheet of paper to kind of put these three things together. And I think I started to do a lot of that stuff, and, and people like that. And uh, I definitely do feel comfortable just experimenting. I think the, the fact that I, you have tools like Aperture and, and Photoshop and looking at magazines, I'm constantly learning from, I'm very hypersensitive to media around me so I'm always seeing what I like and I'm pretty good at making like, casseroles you know I like a little bit of this I like a little bit of that and just kind of put it together and then what I like about things like Flickr uh, or my web gallery is that I can ask people hey what do you think you know and get the feedback from folks and and I think th- those are things that I think that's a difference between an older way of thinking that because I don't know because you feel more alone it's more of a, an alone experience I definitely don't feel alone when I take pictures. When I take pictures, I'm always taking pictures, and you know, I'm always thinking of sharing right from when I took the picture. So, um, that that does change the, the rules, I think, in my head. It's in really the interesting it. that photography
0: is a very isolated act, but it happens within a greater community. You know? Small front, big back. You're absolutely <laughs> right. That's so, right. And, I know community has always been a big, big deal for you. Yeah. Um, but how do you see this sort of global community that's provided by the Internet
1: uh-huh.
0: um, impacting how you, not only what the stuff that you choose to shoot, but how you choose to to, to share it?
1: You know, I... I mean, I think the one thing I learned early on is I learned that the more personal your story is, the more global it actually is. Um, And I think that people really want to know. You know, actually, I was thinking about this. People really want to know your story. You know, they... They can. I remember one time you said to me, "God, if I see another picture of of, of a slot canyon, I swear <laughs> I'm gonna blow my brains out." Or if I see another picture of, you know, of you meant I think of, you um, of, know, pick another of a crashing wave. You know, for me, I mean that really resonates with me. I know that when I travel, and uh, I, you know, it is my trip about standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. Was my trip to Mexico about standing in front? of you know with holding my peace sign with the pyramids behind me is that what my trip is about is that the story and I think that what the internet does especially with me like uh, when I when you talk about community I loved leaned in experiences I like to get in there I like to look at people's faces what are they doing uh, um, I like to get those relationship type of shots I'm, I'm huge I'm sure you've seen my work yeah. I mean a lot of it is about your relationship with other people with content with context with experience and um, uh, when, when I take pictures of place, you know, there's to get the full story, you have to see more than just one image. You know, yeah. it's just I, I don't do it with one image, I don't have the talent that other photographers do. I've, I've got to hold you for four or five images just so you can get an idea of how it went. You can even tell if, if an event went well based on, you know, on how people's body language is. And uh, to me, that's really important. And I think that when you post it and you share it with other people, I think, I mean, I'm hoping that that's what they get as well. I hope that they're like, hey, you know what? That was a looks like a fantastic event. Oh, Marco, great job. I'm going to have this event in my community, and can I share them with you? And I think that's when those friendships and those relationships uh, come in. And, um, and within that, within those images, I mean, you start to pick up what other people see and how they see it, and, you know, um, I'm definitely a big f- you know, as far as much as my image is very literal, I think I'm a big fan of very abstract work, so I, I really like your stuff. And I really like, um, um, you know, there's this photographer in Japan who I don't think has ever taken a picture in focus, who I really love his work, but I just love to see what's going on. And, and, um, for me, that's just um, something I think the net has provided us is share those experiences, share those stories.
0: I, that's why I like visiting your, your Flickr site when you're. Traveling yeah. all over the world, because I get to see not just what you're doing, but you photograph, you know, like things that you're eating, you photograph your, <laughs> your swanky hotel rooms, yeah. your, you know, yeah. all those little details. So I have a greater sense yeah, of Toilets. That, yeah. <laughs> not just where you are, yeah, but what some of the experience is. And yeah. I think that's, that's really kind of one of the things that I really enjoy about seeing how you're using those sites, because I think... To a large extent, we think of, photograph, of photography as the individual photograph, and it can be that. it can be that, that, right. that print, but now it can be so much so much more yeah because of the opportunities, opportunities we have to be able to share yeah. not just one image, but multiple images.
1: Yeah: You know I, I've been saying this thing in my, in my talks a lot about it, it's about how now for the first time in our lives, we have access to the studio to the stage, and to the community. The studio being, we have multiple ports of entry to whatever we want, whether for learning or for sharing. So in other words, if I want to tell a story visually, if I want to tell a story through music, if I want to tell a story through dance, uh, through video, think about it. We now have the tools to do that, number one. So we have the studio. The stage is the net, obviously. This is where we can showcase what we're doing. So, when I'm taking the pictures, I always have that stage in mind. Mm-hmm. And it's always interesting because I found myself a lot of times even shooting like in JPEG mode because I know I'm not going to print it. My, this is just to share with my friends back home. So, I actually you know, making those types of accommodations. Um, but then you have the community. What I like about the community part of, of my studio stage in community and community and, and analogy is that the community both helps you in the studio but also helps you in the stage as well. So if I was to draw a, a visual graph on that, obviously I would have this community thing that links both studio and stage. And I like how if I take something and like somebody the other day asked me, how do you do those pictures that you do where you kind of, you do those really neat little panoramas, Marco, where you're kind of off a little bit. And the reason why I, I do those little panoramas because Photoshop 3 has this great new feature called Photo Merge that does these magnificent stitchings. But the problem is that people, when people are looking at my pictures, I realize they just kind of glance over and go to the next picture. I'm going, wait, that was five pictures I stitched together. Stop. Enjoy it for two more seconds. So I realized that if I screw it up a little bit, just move them a little bit, then people can realize, wow, there's five pictures there. <laughs> so it's interesting, I had to add the imperfection so people could appreciate it. That's funny. And um, and uh, you know, I've been, i get a lot of questions from folks out in the in the community that say, Hey Marco, that's magnificent technique. You know, how do you do it? Well it's just I just wanted people to you know, realize that this was five pictures, you know, so be, I make it off just a little bit. That's fine. So I like that I could share. I also like the fact that when I'm traveling, even, and get those comments back. I remember you and I are early adopters of uh, photo sharing, like with P-Base. And boy, I was disappointed that they didn't shoot up more, they didn't take off more than, than, they, um, than they did. But, um... You know, I remember every time I would post pictures, and here was a little comment that you would wrote down, and then somebody else would write a little comment, and then you would put your picture, and then somebody would write a little comment, and then you started your blog, and you had a picture. So if people wanted to get a reference to what exactly you were talking about, they had that connection, and I just thought that that was when I started with. How, how exciting is this? How, what an exciting time where. The 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 network is not based off people around you. It it could be people anywhere. It's it's a collaboration of the willing as opposed to collaboration of the uh, of the physical, right? Of the people who are physically around you. Uh, I think that because photography is so, such an isolated experience. Your audience, your community, may not be even your family i mean let's, let's be honest there's probably a lot of people hearing this where you you know you'll show a picture to your family and they're like well you're out of, the picture's out of focus or why'd you crop the top of the head or or uh, that's a really nice picture can I have it and then you see it in a frame, and the whole thing is cut out, just the head is there, and you're sitting there like, ugh, you know it's a big knot in your stomach, but you now know and I know for me that I have a greater community that can appreciate the stories that i I like to capture. And you know, with, with my images And, um, and I, as you know I travel a lot And I hate feeling alone I feel alone a lot when I travel Because my friends and my family aren't with me So when I take pictures of like, the restrooms Or the hotel room You know I'm not doing that for me <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing that for my friends back home
0: yeah, we we got to, use, to see the bathrooms that you're using. Uh, in Well, in
1: if it wasn't for the fact that I took a picture of a toilet and a bidet, then I wouldn't have gotten the, the input from the folks uh, on the Internet that told me, please do not pee in the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of like I took a picture and I go, hey, guys, what do I do? What do I do?
0: <laughs> okay, well, my last question is, um, I want you to recommend another photographer who you think our listeners should check out. And who that? Who would
1: that be for you, and why? If I reckon, gosh, that's a tough question. Um, one photographer, I recommend. This guy's really good, and he's great with color. He really celebrates uh, the, the 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 community, uh, his community, really well. Our community may celebrates. There's a lot of people who 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 are haters of LA. But this guy, when his images, does a really good job. I'm going to recommend a good friend of mine. Uh, you can find him at um, Ibarrio Next Pereira. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't cut this out, all right? I you realize that. All right. All right. So that's my photographer. Guys, take a look at his city. Pictures are amazing. His uh, sunset portraits are amazing. Uh, and he does a really good job. Um, just capturing light and so and check out his cool little film that he did on his blog website at la and that's a photo is in like a spanish photo f-o-t-o all right man all right thank you very much don't buy from us1 <laughs> <laughs> all right
0: thanks again for joining me for the show If you have any comments or suggestions, email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Till next time, this is Ivarian Expirello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com
1: photocastnetwork.com